0: Good news, good news. I remembered. I did. I was back there with them and I told them I couldn't remember and then by the time I got to my chair I remembered. Yes. Um, Before I get to that, though, give me a chance to forget, right? No, uh, before I get to that, I don't mention these very often, but I really should. They are awesome resources for us to communicate with you. And those seatbacks in front of you, there's four cards. Hopefully there should be. They're neatly staggered like this so you can see them. That front one, the most important one, is a prayer card. Absolutely the most important one. If there's prayer requests, things like that that you have, this is a great way to communicate that to us. Um, And then we can get it out if you desire for us to get that out in our prayer email throughout the week. You can communicate with us that. Please use this. Um, Please, 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 please use this. Um, even if it's a private prayer request, you just want us to see it, you know, the staff in the office or the elders to see that, uh, then let us know and that's fine. We can do things that way. Uh, there's a neat little green one there that has to do with the different ways that, that you're the opportunities that you have to give um, from online to in person and, and all those kinds of things. And so that's obviously an important one. Uh, that connect card, the one that I mentioned um, just a moment ago, um, that's the one we're going to talk about here because there's another opportunity to connect besides Forest Park, um, that opportunity to serve in that way. What a great, great, great way to serve. Uh, to go and organize books um, for the kids. What a great thing. Um, But this was it. David and I were talking about this week. It's something that's actually been uh, kind of on my heart since I got here. I was just waiting for someone else to also share that same idea and same thought. And so we think it's time now to bring that to you. Here's what we would love. We need a team of about five to seven people, a team of about five to seven people that would love the opportunity to help us respond to folks on a Sunday morning. And so uh, as you see somebody uh, come forward, as you see somebody maybe enter the prayer room, just someone that would be willing to come alongside of them and and pray with them to start with, just to pray with them. That is it. Um, Beyond that, uh, we'll talk. Beyond that, we'll talk. We want to meet with that five to seven people and talk with them about what, just what that means to meet somebody at the altar and, and discuss that. Um, there's even awesome programs that we can actually send people to to help get special training to, to help minister to people in those moments. And so if you have a heart for that, you have a heart for ministering with people, individuals, one-on-one, praying with people and things like that. If you'd be willing to sign that Connect card and say, hey, I would love to meet, what we're going to do is we're going to have a little dinner with just those five to seven people and a couple of us and talk about that and what that looks like, um, because we, we know that, that there are people, that the Spirit is moving amongst us, there are people responding to that, and we want to in turn be able to respond to them. And we just need a team of people with really watchful eyes and hearts to come alongside us and partner with us in that. And so if that's you, If God has equipped you in that way to respond to people, individuals like that, you're not going to be doing anything up front. You're not going to be standing on stage or anything like that. But just respond to individuals one-on-one. If God has a heart, if you have a heart for that, if God has placed that heart inside of you, would you let us know? And we will be talking very, 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 very soon about what that looks like here. All right? So use that Connect card for that. Uh, today. That and, and, and Forest Park, if you could help out over there. And then there's a notes card. If you don't have things like that, um, I still love to actually use uh, my, my paper Bible. Um, you should see my office during the week, my desk during the week. Uh, the staff laugh at me because I have a stack of books this far and they're all open and I'm not, I have, I, I you don't want, even want to know how many tabs I have open on my computer as well. But um, I have four different browser windows open, just to give you an idea. Um, but then I've got this stack of books too, because the references It's just so cool to, to learn and to to combine all of these, these forms of knowledge into one. But you got to write things down or you don't remember them. I just illustrated that for you, okay? I just illustrated that for you. So, so anyway, uh, the only thing I want to mention, and that just also came to me, was some of you, many of you don't know him, uh, but one of our very, 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 very long, 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 long time family members uh, passed away this last week, and so I wanted to remind you of that. Denzel Adams uh, used to sit right there in his brown jacket um, that he would usually wear, and often um, that's where he would be. He was here when I first started, but he was dealing with some health issues then, and uh, he finally succumbed to that as, as a result of an illness, and so his funeral is at 11 on Tuesday, I believe is what Rachel told me. 11 on Tuesday at French's. Uh, we'll send that out via email tomorrow as well, but I wanted to let you know that. That's very important to us. He's a dearly loved man here. I've uh, been here as a servant for a very long, long, long time. Former principal in this community. Uh, just a great, great man. And so I um, want to let you know that that was out there. We're going to start by reading Scripture this morning. Okay. We are in Luke uh, chapter 9 and we'll begin in verse 1. Luke chapter 9 and we'll begin in verse 1. Use your phone, your apps, whatever. Bibles underneath the seats in front of you. Those work too. Um, if you if you need the hard copy, that is great. Chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons. All demons. Now, this is really important for next week's message. <laughs> yeah, no, no pastors ever do that. We never have any cliffhangers on a Sunday. Don't you think we should? Like TV shows don't do that anymore. You don't have to be continued. We'll sit down as a kid. Uh, as a kid, I would watch TV shows. And almost every one of them every week was to be continued. I've sat down with my kids, asked them, we'll watch uh, Night Rider or we'll watch uh, The A-Team or we'll watch all these shows. And they all end, the MacGyver, they all end with next week. Even Batman from back in the day, the old Batman, to be continued. You know, what's going to happen? Will he make it? Every, but in church, we're like, nope, the end. Don't come back. We don't want you to come. No, we do want you to come back. So that passage right there to cure all demons, to drive out all demons, that is important next week just remember that, to cure all diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing with you, nothing with you on your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Doesn't sound like a very good vacation. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, then leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they, the disciples, set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, we've looked at a lot of miracles of Jesus up to this point, And here very, very soon, we're going to shift gears and we're going to go back to the very beginning of Luke. And we're going to start with his teachings and go all the way through all of his teachings throughout the book of Luke. But at this moment in time, the disciples have got a lot of training. They've seen a lot of miracles. They've heard a lot of teachings, and it's all kind of under their belt. They're getting prepared. They're getting ready. Now, every once in a while, they take a wrong turn, like a few weeks ago in the boat where they thought Jesus was trying to kill them. He didn't care about them in that boat, in that storm. But you see, as young men, and you must remember, we'll talk about that again here soon as well. As very young men, when you have an incident like that where you miserably fail, As a young man, what, of course, you do want to do? Oh, you want to get it right. You want to prove yourself. In this case, they want to prove themselves to Jesus, that they can do this thing, that they're the right people for the job. Now, um, they they really want to do the right thing if given the opportunity. Please know this is a terrible, terrible, terrible motivation (laughs) to serve Jesus, right? This is not a good way to serve Jesus. They're trying to look good in front of him. I would guess, based on many of their discussions privately amongst the disciples, that when Jesus said, okay, guys, I'm, I'm going to give you this power, I'm going to give you this, I'm gonna give this authority, I'm, I'm going to send you out to all these towns, these that immediately a few of them started looking at each other like, oh, yeah, but I, I, I can, can hear more people than you. you. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll cast <laughs> that word. Oh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I can hear the conversations. And, and if you, you know, know their personalities from reading Scripture, you've got to agree with me because that's who they were. And what's really cool is that Jesus knew this about the people. He knew this about these 12 guys, and he sends them out anyway. He sends them out anyway. Why? Because there's work to be done. There's good news to be shared. Specifically, there's an invitation to be given. We'll get into that in just a second. So let's take a moment and look at Jesus' instructions to them after he gives them the power and the authority to drive out demons, to cure disease, to send them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. These are all acts of God himself. There are only a very few people in all of history that have the power and the authority to do these things, these prophets of old. Now, in this case, these wonders, these signs were prophesied to happen so that they would draw people to the Messiah. But the case is very different from the prophets of old because Jesus not only has the power to perform these signs and the authority then to delegate this power to other people. People who have faith and believe that has never happened before. You see, the old prophets, they were there. They held the power, but people just stood around and were amazed. They couldn't delegate that power to anyone else. They were alone responsible for administering it. This is a big, big change that now Jesus delegates that power to all of these people in his midst. But then he goes further and he tells them, hey, um, on this little trip, I uh, know you're going, don't go get anything. Just just leave. We're done talking. Go. Don't take anything with you at all. No clues, no, no clothes, no money, no food. He was asking them very specifically, hey, in order to do this, you must fully rely on me for every element of this trip down to the food you will eat. I alone will provide everything you need, including your most basic needs on this trip. Now, to me, And looking at this, it seems like those go hand in hand. Like the only way this would possibly work is if they left and had to fully trust in God, to fully empower them, yes, to do his work among the people, but then to trust in him to provide every other need along their way. And then he tells them, hey guys, and here's the thing, don't get too easily offended. We as believers are still to this day too easily offended. He tells them don't. Simply treat it this way. If people welcome you into their homes, that is awesome. Stay there and bless that community out of their minds. If they don't, dust off your shoes, bid them farewell, move on to the next town. Don't stay, don't fight and argue, let them be. It's on them, it's not on you. It's important advice for us to remember even today as we present the gospel to people. Now, as you can imagine, as a result of this incident, the word of Jesus was spreading very, very quickly. Multiple towns, 12 towns all at once, and then they went on to other little villages beyond those 12 towns, getting that same message, sharing that same message about Jesus in all of these places. The Pharisees, all the local religious leaders were already on to Jesus. They were already talking, developing plans on how to deal with Jesus. But now there's another element getting involved. His name was Herod. He's mentioned in verse seven. Now Herod the patriarch heard about all that was going on and he was perplexed. He was confused. He was befuddled. He did not understand because some were saying that John the Baptist had risen from the dead. If you cut a man's head off, you don't expect him to be back. Then others said, well, no, no, no. It's, it's Elijah that's appeared again. Still others said that was well, one of the prophets from long, long ago has been come back to life now. But Herod said, um, yeah, I, I took care of John. Who is this that I'm hearing these things about? So it says he tried to see him. The ruler of that region was trying to see Jesus. Now, that word Herod, it's used a lot in the gospel, so I want to help you understand which Herod this is. The Herod mentioned here is Herod Antipas. He is the son, one of the sons, of Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great would be the original Herod, if you will. He's the one mentioned in the birth story of Jesus. He's the one that the Magi come and meet with, and then he sends out his delegates to take care of all the young children, uh, young male children in Bethlehem. He was absolutely insane, documented insane, even historically. Okay, The Luke of Herod 9, he was just as paranoid, just as dangerous, and just as corrupt as his father and his brothers who ruled other parts of town. He's the one who loved to listen to John the Baptist. He was curious, genuinely curious, about what John the Baptist was saying. There was something about him, but he was also the one that stole his brother's, his half-brother's wife. And then he willingly was deceived into executing John on behalf of that same ill-gotten and some might say evil bride that he had obtained. Now here he is, and he's hearing rumors about what's happening. He's hearing rumors about this man, Jesus, and what he's saying and doing. Here's the thing. If you have wrongly murdered a man of God who people hold to be the greatest prophet that has maybe ever come, but for sure the first prophet that's come in over 400 years, you might have just a bit of a guilty conscience, just a little. And so you can imagine his paranoia as he walks around and it's starting to get to him thinking John has come back to haunt him, that would be very scary. But having Elijah come back, because the Jews know what this means when Elijah comes back, then as king, he would be very scared because he knows all the wrong that he has done. The most powerful prophet potentially to ever walk the earth is back. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble if he comes to me. And if he does, you know, he, he, he says that, that if, if, if this one statement at the end, I beheaded John, so then who's this guy? Who who is this I'm hearing such things about? It indicates a belief that he knows he's in charge. He wants everybody else to know he's in charge, and that nobody's going to mess with him being in charge. So he wants to see Jesus. Does that not just sound like the words of a bad guy? Yeah, I just want to see him. Just just let me see him. Bring him in. Bring him in. Let's just just see him. So following all of these miracles that we've studied so far, this one might be the most famous of all, to be honest. It might be one of the most talked about miracles miracles that we're going to talk about today. If you've been in the church for a long time, then you've undoubtedly heard it. If you haven't, that's awesome because I get to share it with you because it's one of my favorites for lots and lots of reasons. If you're unfamiliar with children's programming, I promise you this one is always in the rotation of every children's ministry because it should be. It is important in many, many ways. We won't talk about all those ways today, just a few. Okay. So as we begin, there's a few things that I want to tell you that as a child, I didn't know. Actually, I've just learned some of them pretty recently and began to consider them, all right? In your Bibles, in in chapter 9, there is probably this big heading in Luke. It says, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, that is a grand number. That's probably what most of us learned in school. It's an impressive number, especially when you learn what Jesus had to work with to feed those 5,000. But if you read the fine print in your text, you'll even notice that it was 5,000 men that were present. That number did not include women and children, which would have far outnumbered the number of men, for the record. So the probable number was somewhere estimates probably around 15,000 people. That number is staggering, and I know I never learned that as a child But that leads me to a question. Where on earth did 15,000 people come from? Because all of these little towns and villages that the disciples went to were just a few people. Dozens in some cases, 50, 60, maybe 100 in some others. Tiny little villages. That doesn't add up to 15,000 people very quickly, does it? And it's not real likely that everywhere Jesus walked, there were 15,000 people following him. That would create a bit of a disturbance that the Romans wouldn't be all that happy about it wouldn't work on a lot of different levels, like the one we're gonna talk about today. So, how did all of these people happen to meet up in the exact same place at the exact same time to hear Jesus and then ultimately to experience this miracle? I'm pretty sure he didn't post it on Facebook. I'm pretty sure he didn't send out a tweet. Those would have been effective. I don't think he made a TikTok video. Sorry, Jeff. Okay. Um, I don't think he did that to communicate that. Not everybody knows who Jeff is, but trust me, he knows what I'm talking about. Did Jesus do this? No, of course not. Did he make signs and post them on the lamppost? No, because they didn't have lampposts in town. So how did this crazy word spread? Well, let's start with this. He just sent his 12 disciples out to all of the surrounding towns and villages and communities to perform signs and wonders and to cast out demons and to proclaim the kingdom of God, to tell everyone about Jesus. Do you think maybe they said, oh, by the way, tell your friends and family? You'll notice in Jesus' instructions to them, he never said, hey, don't tell people who I am. He he said the exact opposite. Hey, tell people who I am and perform these signs and wonders all the while. Jesus sent them out to spread the word. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, it actually seems to be that people followed the disciples back to where Jesus was in that moment. Matthew adds another element that helped create this perfect combination, this perfect storm for all of these people together. Matthew records that in this time period of them being gone and coming back to Jesus, that this is the moment actually where Herod executes John the Baptist, and John's disciples come to Jesus to bring him the news about the same time that all the disciples are returning from healing and performing all of these miracles. So there were lots of people that came concerned, afraid, wondering what would Jesus say about John when you combine all of these factors and the just attraction of Jesus in general, that is how 15,000 people end up gathering in this tiny little town out in the wilderness at the same time. The miracle appears in all four Gospels. It's one of the very, very few that do that. That should also indicate something to you. A basic rule of what's called hermeneutics, studying God's Word, is when you study God's Word and you see something repeated over and over and over again, that means it's important. <laughs> Pay attention. All four Gospels, there's a reason it's repeated in all four Gospels. It made such an impact on the people that were involved. So let's just read Luke's account. Verse 10 is where we're at. Then the apostles returned. They reported to Jesus everything that they'd done. And I can hear them doing that. Hey, Jesus, guess what I did? Guess what I did? Guess what I did? Oh, yeah, well, I did more. Well, I did. I... That's how they reported it. You know that's how they reported it because that's the kind of young men that they were. They took. The, he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves themselves. To a town of Bethsaida. But the crowds learned very quickly where they were and they followed him there. Jesus didn't reject them, didn't turn away them. Instead, he actually welcomed them and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. We don't know what the lecture was that day. And he healed those who needed healing. Remember, 15,000 plus people gathered. This is a big stadium. It's Banker's Life Fieldhouse full of people listening to Jesus. I guess it's not, it's Gamebridge Fieldhouse now. It's not Conseco. It's not Banker's Life. It's Game. Anyway, as the huge crowd gathered, Jesus once again, he tried to create some space first. They removed themselves. They went to this little place out in the middle of nowhere, but everybody followed and it gave more time for even more people to join the audience. Jesus knew what was about to happen. In verse 12, late in the afternoon, The 12 came to him and said, hey, Jesus, send the crowd away um, so they can go to all these surrounding villages and all these little communities and and find some food and lodging because we're in the middle of nowhere and we got nothing for them. Jesus looked at the disciples and he goes, you know what, guys, that is a great idea. I love that you thought of that. Go get them some food. And they looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, that's not exactly what we said. Um, we, We said, hey, send them away the other gospels record all their excuses. Uh, hey Jesus, um, we—that's a great, that's a great idea. We don't have anything, Jesus. You remember, as a matter of fact, you sent us away with nothing. You said don't bring anything. We still don't have anything with us. And oh, by the way, Jesus, how could we afford that? And Judas speaks up and says, Hey, um, I'm looking through the money bag. We don't have any. Uh, we couldn't possibly afford to feed all these people. And if we did, we'd just be able to buy them bread. What good would that do? And oh, by the way, where could we go to find such a huge supply of bread to feed fifteen thousand people, Jesus? Uh, we kind of are out of luck. We can't do those things. One of the disciples, we don't know which for sure, spoke up, might have been John, we don't know. We have only five loaves of bread and and two fish unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd. And then verse 14 is where it slips in. About 5,000 men were there that day. Just feeding 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish isn't gonna go too far. John shares with us the words that this is a boy's lunch, proving that there are what there? Kids. Kids. They're not men. (laughs) This would have been a boy. Proving there's more than just the 5,000 people. They're just by the boy alone. We're not going to get deep into the young man today. That's not our purpose this morning, but it seems that this this young man had something different about him. He was willing to give up his lunch. I don't know too many young men that are willing to give up their lunch. Let's be honest. He's very hungry at that point in time, but he's willing to give it up with really no idea how it could help the group. Just to let you know, we're not talking about, you know, huge like party subs from Subway here. We're talking about some very small loaves, barley loaves, probably. Maybe some small cakes or even cracker-like things that existed back then. And he probably wasn't carrying a, a couple of nice-looking bass with him to the party that day. Um, by that point in the day, they wouldn't be any good anyway. He was probably carrying some kind of dried fish or sardines With him, give you some mental picture of what Jesus had to work with. But what the boy did have was he had this thing called faith. See, he heals the two blind men. He heals the man who was unable to speak. He heals the invalid in Bethesda. He casts out demons into a herd of pigs. He heals the woman with a bleeding issue in the crowd. And, of course, he raised Zidios' daughter back to life. And now he feeds 15,000-plus people. Verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. He asked them a question. Who do crowds say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others say one of the prophets from long ago has come back to life. And I can see Jesus nodding. Okay, all right. Well, how about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter's answer, God's Messiah. Now, as we close today, this great transition from Luke, once when, we don't know exactly how long ago or long between these events it was. They were gathered around and and Jesus was praying. The disciples would have been doing what they were doing most of the time when Jesus would pray. They would have been watching Jesus, trying to learn how to pray. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, as they're observing Jesus, he just looks up at them and says, hey guys, I got a question for you. When you're out in town, when you're mixing with the people, what are they saying about me? Now, Jesus already knows what they're saying, but he wants to see, what is it? What what will they tell me? Will they be honest with me? Now, what's awesome is what answers do they give him? Well, they give him all the good answers. Uh, Some say you're a dead man walking, Jesus. Like, that's crazy what people are saying. Some say you're like one of the most famous people of all time who never, ever died. Some say you're just one of those other guys, but you're back again to come and tell people about Jesus. Did you notice that nobody, said well Jesus actually uh you're a marked man and they're actively plotting of how they can arrest and kill you do you think the disciples heard that story too when they were out and about oh yeah they did do you think maybe they heard that they thought oh no that Jesus he's a liar he's a fraud he's not for real I wonder why none of them brought that up to Jesus you know they heard him what were they hiding? <laughs> were they trying to flatter Jesus, trying to suck up to him like good little students? Because that's what it sounds like to me. Oh, Jesus, we heard these great things about you. Nobody stepped forward and said what they really, really heard. And so Jesus hears, hears all the flattery and he looks at him and goes, okay, all right, thanks. Thanks for that. I, I appreciate your answers. That's great. Um, now, who do you think I am? Who, who, how, when you responded to those people and they're telling you those things, who did you say that I was? And I want you to picture for a moment those 12 guys, Jesus at the front. They're all sitting down on the ground. Jesus drops that truth bomb on them. And what do you think happened immediately? You're doing it. Silence. And then their eyes began to shoot around. Okay, who's going to answer that one? And if, here's Jesus. So that means we know that Peter was here and we know that James and John were here, right? Because that's the way they always set, according to the pictures, and they all instantly, finally looked at Peter, stared at him like, dude, you gonna say something? Because <laughs> <laughs> he was always the one that would speak up, right? And sometimes, every once in a while, he would get it right. <laughs> so Luke records Peter's response, God's Messiah. Matthew goes a little deeper in chapter 16, verse 16. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, if you've accepted Christ around here, then you've heard that before because you've spoken those very words, the great confession we call it Peter, correctly identifies that Jesus is the long-awaited, promised coming one who was to usher in and restore the kingdom and righteousness of God, to bring the peace of God back to Israel. Peter's the first human being during the ministry of Jesus to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. John alluded to it, but he never said the words. What an incredible, incredible declaration he just made. So Jesus does pat Peter on the back. You can find that in Matthew chapter 16, beginning of verse 17. Read that later if you wish. Jesus pats him on the back with those words. Hey, good job. You're right. Okay. And then he tells them, hey guys, that's awesome. You know who I am now. Now go tell everybody. Have fun. No. Verse 21. Jesus strictly warns them. You know, he he tells everybody, it seems like when he heals them, hey, don't tell anybody. This is different. This is different. He looks them in the eye and he says, now don't you... Don't you tell anyone this yet. You need to wait. Because the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and by the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. And then on the third day be raised to life. I, 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 the, because of our language, and our, there's no pause there, but I really think Jesus paused for a moment and just let them chew on that. Because 30 seconds ago, they were all like, yeah, he's king. We're his assistants. Yeah. And now he goes, yeah, I'm going to (laughs) die. And he just leaves them there for a moment to hang in that. And then he adds to it. Whoever wants, you you wanted to be my followers 30 seconds ago. Now you heard this. If you still want to be my followers, then I need to tell you this. You got to deny yourself. You know, that real important thought you had about yourself moments ago, I need you to reconsider that. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? They thought they had just done that 30 seconds ago. They thought they literally had just gained the entire world, yet loses or forfeits their very self. Whoever is ashamed of me, and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. We'll talk about that next week. What just happened? Peter declares this great declaration. He confesses who Jesus truly is. Jesus acknowledges that and then says, oh, by the way, <laughs> what He's just revealed his absolute identity to the disciples. I can't imagine what they were thinking in that moment, how excited, how just, I mean, just thrilled they were to be a part of this small group of people to come in and usher in the kingdom of God into Israel. They're standing with the Messiah. They've been hanging out with him for months, maybe a year at this point. We don't know exactly. The son of God who is there with them. And the first thing he does is tell them, don't tell anybody exactly who I am. And oh, by the way, I'm going to suffer and be killed. Their minds, that's impossible. You're the Messiah. No one can kill you. You're the son of God. That's impossible for you to die. You've come to save all of us. How could you possibly die? He can't be killed. Then he tells them he's going to be raised to life on the third day. They they probably didn't even hear that. Because their minds were so racing in other directions trying to figure out what he was saying. But even if they did fully hear it, they didn't understand it. We know that from other passages after this one. Then he says he'll be raised to life on the third day and they don't know what that means. The disciples, they're excited, they're confused, they're scared, they're worried, they're confused some more and they're just left there wondering. But I wanna close by repeating these words that he said at the end of that to encourage them. He's called all of them to be his followers, and he's asking them now, now, if you really want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Now, we pause there just for a moment because a lot of times in our Christendom, we will, you know, we bear our cross. Uh, We say that as if that's a bad thing. Jesus reminds us that we are to take his yoke upon him. That would be the same thing, and his burden is light it's not heavy but we've got to do it and he's telling them you've got to take up your cross did they know what that meant at that moment they knew what the cross was they'd seen people executed but did they understand what their cross to bear was no they didn't know what was coming exactly in their world you've got to do this to follow me they thought it was they thought they just had the fun and games right jesus just sent them out to go heal and cast out demons fun and games woohoo! they thought that's what it was all about and now jesus saying uh if you really want to be my disciple then this is what it's all about whoever wants to save their life will lose it oh we're partnering with jesus why because he'll protect us from rome He'll protect us from the religious leaders. He, he, he's protecting me and my family. That's why I'm with Jesus. And Jesus say, no? No, if, if you're with me to just save yourself, that's not going to work out real well. As a matter of fact, I need you to set your life aside completely, completely and follow me. Because if you do that, then then and only then will your life be saved. And then he takes it another step further. I mean, guys, this is a, he's gone real deep, real quick. From saying, yep, you're right, I'm the Messiah to saying, oh, and by the way, um, what good is it? You just thought it was awesome that you inherited the whole world. You were going to be the assistants to the king. What good is it if you gain all of that, but lose your very soul? Yeah, you don't want to do that. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Now, The disciples have had nothing but good for the most part so far in their relationship with Jesus, but they're about to begin to encounter those obstacles and those difficulties that will eventually lead their Messiah, their Savior, their King to the cross. Will they be ashamed of him in that moment? Will they still be ashamed of his teachings during that time period between his death and his resurrection? When he arises back from the dead, will they still be ashamed of what he went through or will they take that cross, that burden to bear and share it with everyone else around them? We live in a world where it is very easy for believers to be ashamed of what we believe because the world is convinced otherwise. We can't do that. We can't do that. Are we willing to sacrifice our very own lives for his cause? Are we willing to stand up for what we believe in, the truth of Jesus Christ, no matter what those around us say. This is a challenge, a very real and direct challenge to us as believers today, not just to the disciples back then. If you've never come to know this Jesus personally, one of the things that I love so much about Jesus is the truth that he always shares. He never sugarcoats things, man. These disciples, he could have lived in that moment with them for a while, days, weeks even, months, And just let him ride in that, yeah, you're the Messiah. Yeah, we're going to be your assistants. Yeah. But he didn't. He was brutally honest in that moment. Hey, this is who I am. Yes. But because this is who I am, this is what I must do. And I must do this to save you. And you must do this to follow me. And he puts it all together right there for us as believers. Are we following him like that? If you're not yet a believer, there's no point in sugarcoating it. He wants you to come to him as you are. You don't have to get anything perfect. These disciples didn't have it figured out as they were walking with him, yet he chose them anyway. But he wants you to come, and he wants you to get to know him better so that you want your life to be lived in honor and glory of him. We live in a world that if you do that in your workplace, in your family, in this community, people will notice when you show up for no reason at Forest, Park Christi- at Forest Park Elementary School across the way and you say, hey, I'm just here because I feel bad these kids. Man, they're not able to read and I love them. I love them with the love of Jesus and I would love to help them out. You know what? People are going to say, why are you doing that? <laughs> Don't you have something else to do? Don't you have places to go, people to see, food to eat? Yeah, but this is important. What an opportunity, Father God. As we stand before you, sit before you, bow before you right now, I pray that as a believer, we understand the significance of what it means to follow you. You are our Messiah. You are our Lord, our Savior, our King. We want you to be the ruler of our hearts, of our minds, and of our lives. We want to set an example. It won't be perfect because we're not perfect, but you are. And you can allow us to live in such a way that in spite of our flaws, people can still see you. It's a miraculous thing that you do. And Father, I pray that we choose to do that. I pray that we choose, like that boy, to be generous with all that you've given us, not just our finances, but Father, our gifts, our skills, our abilities, just pour those back into you for service of the kingdom, to help those in need, whoever they may be. The difference that can be made, we will never, ever know in this lifetime. Father, we pray for those that haven't made that decision, that as we go through these miracles and as we soon begin the teachings of Jesus, that that people respond to those teachings. It has nothing to do with me. Father, get me out of the way and allow people just to hear your words. Allow your spirit to move in their heart in spite of anything that I might say. Father, we want them to connect with you first and foremost in our life and bring them to the foot of the cross to accept the gift that you give them right now in this moment today, that gift of eternal life, that gift of forgiveness, of your grace, of your mercy, of your sanctification over the rest of their life as they strive to become more like you. May we be a body of believers that doesn't just meet here on Sundays, but Father meets here on Sundays to plug in and replenish and be prepared for battle as we head out these doors, as we leave And let us remain connected throughout every day of the week. We can't come back next Sunday to refill. We've got to stay tapped into you every single day to fight the battles that need fought around us, to love every person that we come into contact, no matter how hard it may seem. Father, if there's anybody here this morning that's worried, that's fearful, that's just in need of prayer, we pray they come forward and allow us to pray with them, over them, for them, and allow your spirit to move in their life. Father, what a blessing it is to be here surrounded by your love and in your presence.